uh, usually little retrieves or slower retrieves have a tendency to stay near the bottom than real fast retrieves. Although you will catch those trevally with a quicker retrieve. When you're sight casting, um, it's also going to be kind of, it depends. You want to get the fly out ahead of the fish. Um, we generally don't like to hit the fish right on the head cause they'll spook 90% of the time. And you want to put it somewhere eight to 10 feet out ahead of them. Let that fly get on the bottom. And then by the time it gets to the bottom, you can start, you know, with a little retrieve and gauge the, the fish's reaction to your fly, um, for what to do next. That was Rick Lee breaking down some tips and tricks for bonefish in Hawaii. This is the wet fly swing fly fishing show. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I'm in the process of putting together a trip for Salt and Christmas Island this year. If you want to find out more info on this trip and get on the list for an upcoming trip giveaway, go to wetflyswing.com salt, and I'll get you some more information there. In today's episode, I talk with Rick Lee, the man behind bonefishhawaii.com. We talk about the most important gear you need to stay safe and to find bones, talk about the difference between the Hawaiian islands and where to go, and some tips on spotting and casting to those fish. Uh, Lots of good stuff in this one. Uh, You don't want to miss this as Rick describes a go-to plan and DIY style trip you can do uh, if you're on your way to Hawaii this year. Since 1977, the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal has long been considered the Angler's Magazine, with original how-tos and technical articles written by the best trout and steelhead anglers in the West. FTJ is committed to sharing exceptionally written essays, fiction, poetry, and in-depth guides to fly fishing destinations. FTJ is one of my go-to magazines, and if you haven't checked it out recently, you can get started by calling 1-800-541-9498 or heading over to the web at ftjangler.com. So... Without further ado, here's Rick Lee. So, okay, good. Well, I think we're good to go to get started. You, um, as far as if I sent, if people have questions, is there a place to direct them just to your website or? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to reach us is uh, through our website. That's bonefishhawaii.com, or you can shoot us an email, and that's info at bonefishhawaii.com. We'll get back with you, <clears throat> excuse me, as soon as we're able. And uh, if we're out on the water, it may take a couple of hours, but generally uh, we'll get right back at you with questions or answers okay. or anything we can help you with. So, okay. Good, good. Then I think we're all on the same page. We know what we're going to be chatting about. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my conversations are, you know, usually pretty casual and I kind of let them go where they go. So, um, I think, you know, the focus and it sounds like you can answer any of those questions that come up on Hawaii. So that's good. There, there, there's not yeah, many absolutely. people out there, right? Is there a ton of people out there uh, guiding in Hawaii? Uh, you know, actually, it's it's been increasing exponentially over the last couple of years. Uh, we fished here in Hawaii with flies for years and years and years from uh, kind of the late 70s on when we were high school kids and kind of just picked up fly fishing on a couple of trout trips up to the mainland and never saw another angler on the flats for you know, a couple of decades, but, uh, oh, I don't know, about 10 or 12 years ago, there started to be a little bit more interest in the fishery here and people started figuring it out a little bit better. And there was a couple of guides that, uh, spent a lot of time and effort, um, pioneering the fishery, uh, from a guiding standpoint. Uh, but most of them spent more time promoting themselves and promoting their businesses than they did, uh, many of the other aspects with the fishery here in Hawaii. So, um, we're about a million, 500,000 people on Oahu and the state is pushing 2 million, uh, plus, you know, a, a, 
a million visitors uh, a year here to Hawaii. So um, there's a lot of people visiting the island. So don't be under the impression that you're going to show up on a deserted tropical island, nope. uh, busting at the <laughs> seams with fish. I mean, this is hardcore urban fishing uh, yeah. in a very highly pressured resource. No, I hear you. That's, and we'll, we'll dig into some of that too, because I think that's the, you know, we might talk a little DIY and just, just, but, you know, basically just give people that are going there a good perspective on, you know, what it might take to have a chance. Really, I mean, we're not even talking about maybe, you know, catching, you know, tons of fish, but yeah, just have an opportunity would be, would be amazing. So yeah, we're going to jump into all that before we kind of get there. Can you talk about how you first, um, you know, how you first got into fly fishing and then how Bonefish Hawaii came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up very near the beach uh, over near the Kahala Hotel um, on the south shore of Oahu and was in the water every day, whether it was, you know, surfing like mad or diving or fishing. And about the time we we got uh, close to being in high school, I went up on a couple of summer trips um, to the Rocky Mountain West and had a chance to do some fly fishing for trout. And so all this fishing experience, you know, years and years of spin fishing and diving and what have you here on Oahu and this fly fishing piece all kind of came together at the same time. And about the same uh, time, I think it was maybe when I was a junior in high school, I got a chance to go down to Christmas Island. And, you know, back at that time, it was a, a really new resource that had no pressure on it whatsoever with hordes of bonefish. And so I learned pretty quickly what the drill was uh, to catch bonefish on flies. And, um, you know, it's kind of led to a, a love affair, uh, not only with saltwater fly fishing, but fly fishing in general for, you know, going on 40 years now. I'm going to date myself, man. I graduated from high school in 1982, and the first year I went to Christmas Island was 1979, and that was just when I was just learning about uh, how to catch bonefish on flies. So. Oh, cool. Cool. So, 79. And and what – now, when you look at Christmas Island, you know, when you compare what it, that felt like that first trip versus, say, you go there now, what what is the difference? Well, the neat thing about it is um, the people have a much better life now than they did at that time. Um, you know, they have better food supplies. They have a more consistent uh, air charter that uh, goes down there weekly. And, you know, so th they're enjoying their lives, I think, more than they perhaps did at that time. The flats are definitely more crowded. Um, fortunately, it's a 145 square mile lagoon down there. So you can still get it all yourself um, on, you know, uh, a pretty regular basis. Um, the neat thing about Hawaii back in the day was, you know, although there was a lot of fishing pressure, nobody was fishing for these bonefish with flies. And so they all ate. Whereas now many of the fish are educated, you know, bonefish are really long lived. And so they've most likely, if they're in urban Honolulu, seen at least one fly, if not been hooked and caught. Um, and so they're much, much more difficult to hook now than they were uh, back in the day. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's a big difference. And, and, uh, and then what about, you know, I mean, we're going to dig into a little bit on the islands, but if you just think about Hawaii, you know, I, you hear, and I've been doing some destination uh, episodes and things like that. And, you know, Hawaii hasn't come up that much. I mean, why is, how is Hawaii different than say any other place where you're going to get bonefish? You know, the neat thing about Hawaii is you can tie a bonefish 
day or couple of days into a family trip or a business trip or just a general vacation, um, it's not a destination that you just are going to go to catch bonefish. In fact, I would say uh, bonefish would almost be a, a secondary interest in being here. But if you're headed to Hawaii, bring along some boots and your rod and a box of flies and you know be ready when you get the chance. I mean, there could be an opportunity when you're on a drive around the island with the family or stopped for lunch somewhere and you know uh, you could potentially hook the biggest bonefish of your life um, right out in front of where you're staying. So um, there's, you know, there's always the opportunity. Just don't get, um, uh, you know, too hung up in catching 20 a day and, you know, seeing uh, hordes of bonefish tailing on a white sandy flat in ankle deep water because it's not going to happen. <laughs> Cool. No, that's that's good to hear. So I think, you know, that might be a good place to start. I think we want to circle around for sure and talk about, you know, maybe where, you know, maybe a little Christmas island where you fish more often. But, you know, I'm actually heading to Maui and I know a lot of people go to Maui and it's it's one of the, you know, one of the islands out there, maybe not known as the greatest. I think it's known as kind of deep water and stuff like that. But could we talk about Maui just a little bit and maybe talk about how if somebody was going there, you know, this week, how, how they might do it, you know, try to find a fish or at least get a cast to, you know, into the water? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I hope my advice works, Dave, if you're headed out that way this week. No, hey, well, I, I <laughs> expect... I'm 30 today outside. Exactly. So. No, I wasn't expecting no, no. to do... So, uh, so there's, yeah. there's, bonefish, there's bonefish on all the islands. Um, some islands um, have more bonefish habitat that lends itself to fly fishing than others. Um, because the islands go from youngest at the big island to oldest at Kauai, um, there's a really interesting... Uh, change in in the islands going from uh, basically a lava volcano to uh, fringing reef to eventually like atolls in the central pacific just a, a big hole in the middle with the vestiges of that fringing reef um, like we would find at christmas island but but oahu and maui kind of seem to be right in the sweet spot where there's still beautiful mountains and uh, tributaries and all that, but there's also some pretty darn good flats. Oahu has the lion's share in the islands, but Maui still has some pretty big ones. So um, my recommendation to people um, is depending on the side of the island you're on, uh, maybe just surf a little on Google Maps. Any place that you can find water that's knee to thigh deep, there's going to be bonefish. Um, most of the flats on Maui have a tendency to fish at lower tides because as the tide level rises, and the trade winds blow in the afternoon, most of the flats will dirty up. Um, but there's some flats over near Kihei on the windward side of the island. There's also quite a few flats between Lahaina and Kaanapali on the southern side of the island. Um, and none of them are what you might envision perhaps fishing in the Bahamas or Cuba or Belize. Um, but they are unique to Hawaii and they do hold reasonable numbers of fish. Um, a lot of the guests that will go over to Maui actually will do a lot of blind casting. And that's something that a lot of the local anglers also have adopted. You know, they'll find a fishy looking spot that, you know, is knee to thigh deep. Even if they can't really see the bottom, they'll just, you know, spray blind casts out um, in all directions, uh, and move a little and then, you know, just kind of continue on through an area that looks fishy. And, and they're actually relatively successful in doing that. There, there are occasions on Maui where you can find fish either closer to shore at really low tides 
uh, when there's limited wave action and wind action when you can't sight fish to fish. But that would be kind of more the exception to the rule. But you can definitely catch uh, bonefish there. And then there's also a, a whole variety of other fish that will take a fly as well. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, there's the... Uh... I'm not even going to pronounce the name, but the, the trigger fish, right? How, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, actually, yeah. The, the Hawaii state fish is the humuhumu nuku nuku apua'a. And the Hawaiian language uh, translation of that is a fish with a nose like a pig. Oh, and if you've, yeah. And teeth that are screwy too. Yeah, you've ever seen a trigger, you know, they're not the, the most beautiful fish, but they've got some of the most uh, distinctive and attractive markings of, of any fish. And that... Uh, Humuhumu Nukunukuapua'a is actually uh, known also as a Picasso triggerfish, and they're found throughout the Indo-Pacific, um, and they're the main triggerfish species here in Hawaii in shallow water. Oh, cool. Now, this is, this is awesome, and I think if we have time, we might touch a little bit on some other species. Uh, I've talked about bones, I mean, more, uh, we've had a few episodes, and, you know, we haven't gone in deep, so I would like to maybe you know, talk about, let's just focus on bones because I think it's the, maybe the, the species people talk about for, especially if they haven't done saltwater before. Um, but it sounds like maybe there's some other fish like trigger fish or, or maybe just, uh, as easy to, ca- or, you know, what would you say? How are bones as far as catching them versus other species? Or do you think for a first timer, would, would bones be the best thing to target? Um, absolutely. And, you know, getting back to the blind casting piece in Maui, um, there's a variety of other fish that are ravenous for flies. If you can find them, uh, the bluefin trevally probably being the most prominent, um, they're around in large numbers, particularly during the summer, but all year round and they'll gobble any kind of a fly that's moving. Uh, there's also a variety, uh, of goat fishes that are around that you may have seen those. They've got little barbells under their chin and they're feeding in the same habitats as bonefish are kind of searching around with those barbells on the bottom. They'll, they'll take flies like crazy and um, a whole variety of other reef fish occasionally on the smaller bonefish flies you can hook up as well. But you know, bonefish are really the the trophy species uh, near shore here uh, on Oahu and, and throughout the islands. And the cool thing about them is, they're really, really big here in Hawaii. It's not uncommon at all to get, you know, six to 10 pound fish and, you know, a seven or eight pound fish in Hawaii literally will take you 150 yards into your backing with the drag cranked all the way down. They're really, really strong fish, very difficult to land. Um, and many of them will be in areas where there's large coral heads, which, you know, double the action once you get hooked up to one and he's in the rocks, you know, hundred yards away and you're running after him on a flat with waves breaking. It's, it's pretty dynamic. That's amazing. Yeah, this is, this is cool. This is getting started. Uh, you know, it sounds like I love these ones where, you know, the more we talk, the more questions pop up and, you know, you kind of remind me when you talk, we talk about species. I had uh, Peter Morse on, he was down in Australia and he was talking about how the biggest challenge there is, you know, what rod to start out with and what flies to bring. It sounds like here, I mean, could you, maybe you can break down the rods a little bit, you know, what do we need? And as far as flies, and could I just go out there with a a specific fly and maybe have a chance at bonefish or triggers or other species? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we're pretty big fans of seven and eight weights. Um, you don't really need a lot more rod in Hawaii for the fact that primarily you're going to be positioning yourself to be casting across or slightly downwind, not fighting into it. Um, people do bring occasionally heavier rods, but we've never, never really found a, a need for it. Um, floating lines are the ticket definitely here in Hawaii. Um, you know, as long as it's, uh, you know, a, a monocore uh, type of bonefish line, particularly, you're going to be successful with it. Um, stay away from the sink tips or the intermediate lines. They 
have their own inherent set of challenges. And uh, in our rocky environment here in Hawaii, you're going to be wishing you had a floating line for the most part. Um, Leaders anywhere between nine and, say, 11 feet uh, taper down to kind of a minimum of about 15 pounds. You can occasionally go lighter with really small flies in certain situations, but I would say, you know, stick with 15 or 20. We love fluorocarbon because it disappears. It sinks, sinks way faster, ties great knots, and it's pretty durable in the rocks. So that would be your, your initial startup. And, and don't fool around with a reel that's got less than a hundred yards of backing or you'll be sorry you did. Uh, yep. you definitely want a, a good saltwater safe reel. Yeah. yeah. Not that you'll necessarily need 200 yards, but it's a very rare occasion when you're not into the backing, even on the smallest way bonefish. Hmm. And it's very usual that your arm is aching from cranking in a big long run by a bonefish here in Hawaii because he's so far out. So that's awesome. Yeah. As far as flies go, um, you know, I always tell people kind of match the environment that you're fishing in. If you're on a dark bottom, use a dark fly. If you're on a lighter bottom, use a brighter fly. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the colors that people do well uh, on here in Hawaii would be, of course, tan or some variation thereof. Uh, fish in Hawaii love darker flies, uh, browns or olive greens. They also love orange flies. And those kind of all tie back to specific prey items that they're hunting for here in Hawaii. Um, the bonefish are are pretty uh, varied with regard to their interest in eating, and that'll depend on the flat that you're on. Um, they eat a lot of crabs, of course, like bonefish anywhere. Mantis shrimp are on the menu in a lot of different places, and you may have seen some of the mantis patterns that people are coming mm-hmm. up with now that are pretty effective. Um, there's also a whole variety of endemic shrimp uh, in Hawaii, which are commonly referred to by the Hawaiian name opai, and they're generally translucent and they might be clear or speckled or occasionally even, uh, as in the case of the Opai Ula, uh, orange in color. And thus the orange fly is real effective in a lot of the near shore waters. And then the fly also that I, I tell people never to leave out of their box, especially if they're blind casting, is the deceiver. Mm-hmm. particularly a deceiver that's tan on the back and white on the bottom or yellow on the back and white on the bottom. And that will, that will mimic a small goatfish that we were talking about earlier called Owama. And the Owama are around in numbers during the mid to late summer and pretty much everything on the reef is eating them. They're like candy to just about every uh, predatory fish out there, but they're also around the rest of the year and the fish are always keyed in on them. So if you can show them something like a deceiver that darts around like a small goatfish, um, you may find some success on a whole variety of different fish. Okay, cool. And what, as far as the lines, do you have a company that you would recommend or a, a name of a line? Well, you know, we love uh, all of the stuff that Rio makes, and mm-hmm. we've been big fans of Rio for many years. We also use a lot of airflow lines as well. Um, and so I would not hesitate on either of those. I, I had good luck historically with Scientific Anglers lines, but um, don't have a working relationship with them as as I once did. Um, but they're all going to be good ones. Some will last a little longer than others. Yeah. Um, there's also some that have a little bit more of a forward taper than others. Um, a lot of the uh, quick shooter lines, so to speak, that Rio makes have a 33 to 35 foot head. Yeah. So it's going to be good for loading quick, might be a little better out of the boat maybe than the traditional bonefish lines. It might have a little bit longer, maybe 45 foot head, which is a little bit more for presentation casting when you can measure a, a certain length of line and deliver it right to a particular fish you're hunting. Okay. Okay, cool. And, and so, yeah, the, the typical flies are, you know, it sounds like, you know, just the typical stuff would work there. What about, you know, can you take us down to the, you know, the water and talk about how you, you know, get yourself or clients into bonefish and just kind of describe that, you know, how that looks? 
Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I, I should mention, though, before we move on from flies is eyes in Hawaii generally have a tendency to run a little larger than they do elsewhere. And that's just because the fish are in a little bit deeper water. You know, bonefish really are not built to look up. So you want to get your fly in that bottom third of the water column, wherever you're where, wherever you're fishing. And so I have a tendency to tie with, with a lot of dumbbell, uh, eyes, mm-hmm. particularly the, the size medium ones, um, in lead or, you know, whatever coated colors you like with an eyeball on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so with regard to, to looking for spots, um, please, uh, do feel free to reach out, um, with questions to our website. Again, that's bonefishhawaii.com or email us at info at bonefishhawaii.com. And we'd be happy to, to give you specifics on spots you might consider if you're on a DIY mission. Um, but you're going to find on all of the islands where there are fringing reefs, you got anywhere between kind of a hundred yards and 500 yards from a sandy beach out to the breakers. And that's where bonefish live about 80% of the time. And they might move out towards the breakers on one tide and then closer into shore on others. Um, But pretty much you can be assured if you're looking out from a beach park or a home or whatever uh, over a productive bonefish flat, they're going to be somewhere in that zone you can see. The places that they move back and forth between the breakers and the shore are generally sandy channels. Um, And you can find those just because they're a little bit lighter in color than the rest of the surrounding uh, coral heads. And also they might be slightly deeper. So posting up on any of those sandy channels is never a bad idea because the fish will be moving in and out from the shore to the breakers or vice versa. Um, The other thing you want to keep in mind as you're kind of scoping stuff out is there's a ton of live coral in Hawaii. And as such, it's brittle and it's very, very noisy when you walk. So you want to do a couple of things. One is have a super good pair of boots. Otherwise, you're going to be crying at the end of the day because your feet are all cut up. And the second thing is you want to move really, really slowly on bonefish flats in Hawaii. Even though you might not see a fish right out in front of you, if you take your time and wade slower than you anticipate the fish might be moving, you're absolutely going to be in the game. If you're walking fast and crunching as you go, every fish within a 100-yard circle is going to be gone. So um, take your time, wade easy. Um, look in those sandy channels and you'll be setting yourself up for success. Cool. Yeah. Those are great tips for sure. Okay. So basically, you know, you get out there, find some of these slots, either where they're, you know, kind of migrating back and forth and, and just kind of sit there and wait. I mean, and you said there's a lot of blind fishing, but in, you know, take, let's just take, I guess, back to Maui, since that's what's on top of my mind. If you're down there, are you going to just kind of post up and just wait and say to, for fish to come by and make the cast? Or are you just kind of just casting blind more? Well, I think that kind of depends on your personal disposition, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, well, to me, I'll tell you what, for me, I, I'm, I'm a total, I'm a total rookie. This is the great thing about this. This is, this is awesome about, I think fishing is that, I mean, th- this would be my first, I mean, technically my first salt, you know, kind of this sort of thing, you know what I mean? So it's, um, you know, when I think about what I would like to do, I mean, I like casting, but I mean, geez, if I could see the fish and cast to a fish, even if it didn't take that seems like that'd be way better than sitting out there casting blindly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it just depends on the person. It, it, on our guided charters, you know, we both wade and fish out of the boat. And we use the boat to get around to some flats that are not accessible from shore. And, and that kind of gives you a leg up. And um, I personally, you know, having had the opportunity to do this quite a bit and spend a lot of times with folks on the water, the, you know, really the gratification of, of hooking a, 
a you know double digit bonefish wading in shallow water, it doesn't get any better in fly fishing. Yeah. I mean, I've had the chance Amazing. to fish all over the world, and that is really yeah. about as exciting as it gets. However, if you're on Maui with the family and you got an hour in the yep. morning before the kids wake up, right. game on, man. Get that fly in the water, you know? Yeah, right, right. Um, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing yeah, for an hour. Yeah, exactly. So it, it kind of all depends. Yeah. And also the conditions. If the conditions are lining up and the water's clear and you can see fish moving, yeah. uh, by all means. you know, What is that going to look like? So, I mean, are you going to right away see a fish moving and pretty much just be like, oh, yeah, that's a bonefish? Or is there other species that are – I know they're obviously elongated and torpedo-shaped versus, say, uh, you know, the triggers. But are there going to be other confusing fish that you, you might think is a bonefish, which it isn't? Well, you know, that's that's all part of the really wonderful thing um, about bonefish and about flats fishing in general is you're learning every time you're out there. I mean, most people don't have the luxury of flats fishing – you know, all year round. Um, it's just uh, once or twice or, you know, perhaps more for those of us yep. that are really fortunate deal. And, and so, you know, you're slowly but surely going to build up a repertoire of images and experiences is going to tune you into what's a bonefish and what's not. Now, if you're in ankle deep water and you see a silver tail flopping around, uh, you know, 30 yards away, uh, splashing and thrashing yeah you can be pretty sure that's a bonefish but more than likely mm -hmm. here in hawaii you're going to see fish that are cruising laying low going slow hunting and and mm -hmm. the way that i i would suggest people you know approach it initially is look for big and green uh because most fish will be a little bit larger than you expect and they can range from a neon green having just come in from deep water onto the flats to you know kind of a more muted green if they've been in on a big tide for a while and have been you know feeding in in shallow sandy water so mm -hmm. yeah big and green and uh and moving slow would be Okay. my suggestions cool. to get started. Cool. Yeah. I'm just looking at your webpage and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, bonefish, you see tons of photos of them, but man, you know, when you just look close, they just look like, it's just a cool looking fish. I mean, all fish are cool looking, but it's amazing. They have the counter coloration with the, the stripes on their back going, you know, perpendicular to their kind of the lateral line sort of thing. It's, yeah, that's an amazing looking fish. Do they, do you see different colorations of bonefish or do they, are they pretty standard? Um, they, they range from cool to off the hook, yeah. beautiful fish. You know, yeah. the neat thing about them too is, I mean, nothing's by accident, right? So a bonefish is designed to be stealth on the flats, yeah. uh, firstly and foremostly for hunting, but then also to avoid predators. And so they've got those deep bars on their backs in Hawaii on a lot of occasions with that, you know, dark green color. Yeah. And then also on their sides, you know, you're looking at basically right. a, uh, you know, a mirror yeah, exactly. um, with all these little scales that, you know, disperse the light even more. So when you see a bonefish looking down and across at him, if he's traveling sideways to you, oh, yeah. it can be very difficult at times to pick them up. When they're coming at you or going away from you, then the shadow along with that green will catch your eye a little bit better. That's why going slow is so key in most instances. Gotcha. And is that, maybe you can talk just a little bit about, you know, you mentioned the wind, but when you're talking about the sun and angle, any other factors to be thinking about to get yourself in a good position to, you know, find, like say you're in the area where fish are migrating, is that something, you know, sun angle and wind that you should be thinking about a lot? Yeah, absolutely. So we're very fortunate here in Hawaii in that, um, we've got Northeast or prevailing anyway, northeasterly trades. And we've also, of course, got the sun rising in the east. So mornings have a tendency to be a little bit more conducive to sight fishing in that you got the sun and the wind at your back. Oh, yeah. In the afternoon, of course, you're looking into the sun. And so you need to adjust your angles a little bit with um, the direction that you would be fishing a flat. And, um, you know, personally, whether I'm, I'm guiding or fishing myself, I pick a line where I can see. 
that's the number one most important thing because you know what if you can't see them you're out of the game anyway so you know whether you're pulling across the flat or whether you're waiting it um, picking a line where there's some good light is is definitely the ticket yeah. in hawaii that's not always a given you know we've got uh we've got clouds that you know build up um, as they hit the islands and that warm, moist sea air hits, you know, a, a couple of hundred feet of elevation and turns into a beautiful puffy white cloud. Well, those white clouds throw a monster glare on the water that you're never going to see through in most cases. Mm. So, um, it's always good to pick the line that you can see and regardless yeah. of the tide or where you're fishing. And, uh, and glasses, polarized glasses, is that a, is that pretty important up there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, don't even show up without a good pair of polarized glasses. It differs between anglers. Different people uh, perceive a little bit differently as they see with polarized glasses. But I find for the most part, a lot of the stuff that um, you would take trout fishing, whether it's amber or, you know, bronze, those sorts of colors um, cut the glare really well. They also render the green of that bonefish pretty well. Um, I would personally kind of shy away from some of the gray or blue colors because for whatever reason the bonefish just don't jump out at you like they do with an amber lens okay yeah amber's the the kind good good yep. and uh yeah i guess and uh i mean you get some clouds but it's pretty hawaii is definitely more more sun than not right i mean even though isn't isn't maui known as the wettest place on the planet or something isn't that the case you know, close actually. Uh, another island, Kauai. Uh, oh yeah, and, and I wanted to check also some pretty good bone fishing. In Kauai, yeah, and I always said Kauai, but I actually I think I was saying it wrong. It's actually Kauai. Yeah, and so so Kauai's got Mount Waialeale, which is arguably the wettest spot on Earth, um, and what's called the Alakai Swamp. And so it's this high elevation, big extinct volcano that's just a catchment for water. And then it's got uh, five big tributaries that run out of it. And actually, three of those five tributaries have fishable numbers of rainbow trout in them, if any of the guys oh, are ever right. interested in checking wow. that out. That's cool. That's so, cool. yeah. So, anyway, um, getting back to clouds, though, it's cloudy on a lot of days, particularly when we've got trade winds. The good thing about it is if you wait a minute or two, they usually blow over. So, it's not uncommon to be out on a flat. Here's a big tailing fish coming right at you. All of a sudden, a cloud comes over, and you're like, "Where did he go?" <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's just part of the drill here. You got to just take it as being Hawaii, and um, you know, wait for those moments when it all comes together, where you do have good light and when you can see a little bit. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So, so yeah, just thinking back again. Have so we got the gear. Basically, we have the line. Uh, it looks like you know airflow or real. And you met, was there a line you mentioned? There was the I know they have some different uh, tropical lines. Do they have one line, um, you know, that's better than the others? Or I'm, I was just looking at one that they had there. Uh, you know, uh, honestly, it's going to depend on your casting stroke and your rod, and and okay. you know, you get to a point where these will all work differently for each individual angler. Um, for most people, though, I would I would recommend uh, medium fast to fast action fly rods, saltwater safe reel seed and guides, especially because you know just even a couple of days with a trout rod in the salt will toast your guides. You know, all oh, right. Uh, you don't want to go down that road, but but anyway, um, the fly lines. You know, try a couple. I mean, that's fly shops are really good at selling you stuff. And yeah. go into your local fly shop and bring your rod along with you and say, hey can I try a couple of these lines and make sure and put a leader on there and, you know, maybe even a fly with the, you know, the point cut off, um, and try a couple of casts at, you know, at 15 feet, at 20 feet, at 25, 30, 40 feet. And that, that kind of actually brings us to another thing about Hawaii, uh, with the exception of blind casting, most of the casts in Hawaii are actually quite a bit shorter than you would find elsewhere. Um, and, and two things have to do with that. One is 
it's just harder to see far with the broken bottom. It's a little bit deeper water and the fish will have a tendency to sneak up on you. And with the wind and the waves and everything else going going on, the fish don't know that you're there if you're moving quietly or if you're fishing out of the boat. So, you know, you got to be accurate on your first cast, preferably. And I feed fish, the majority of the casts are going to be kind of 35 to 40 feet. Uh, I don't go much longer than that because you want to make sure that it's their idea and that you show it to them just the way you want on the first opportunity because your chances go way down after that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm just looking at the, um, you know, airflow, the, and I'm just using airflow because I'm kind of a little more familiar with them, but the, you know, the superflow dry bonefish balance, you know, line, which is a balanced taper for, you know, and it says something about, you know, I mean, I guess, again, they, they all look like they they provide a similar thing. So, you, you know, try one out. And I guess this would be one I could just probably pick up and be like, all right, this we'll give this one a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, ne- the next thing that is now coming out with all the bonefish lines is they're changing up the cores. Uh, before they were a, a braided monofilament core. Now they've got some new direct core uh, designs that actually reduce the amount of stretch um, in the line. And that's really good in a bonefish context because um, you want to be able with one strip to get the fish stuck uh, when you see him eat in a visual context or when you're just stripping it in. And sometimes having a whole ton of stretch in a line is uh, a big disadvantage in the context of bonefish. And they say that right here. I'm going through the benefits of the line. You know, it's like, you know, here are their main benefits, climate control, you know, tropical, the super dry, which is, uh, you know, some new, stuff they have power core which is what you're talking about you'll be impressed with the incredible suppleness of and handling performance even with the harshest with only six percent stretch i guess that's their power core right with less less stretch yeah and that's the that's the new deal that everyone's putting out there and the and the lines that um the manufacturers have provided me with recently are actually they work better i just like them yeah. better they cast a little bit better and you've got a lot of stretch in your um in your leader and tippet anyway especially with a longer leader um so it just takes one you know thing that you had to worry about in the past out of the equation so try them out cool cool all right so good and uh so i guess let's just keep going down that road of just to talk about, you know, make sure I'm not missing anything here. So, so if I'm again, sticking with that, that Maui example, so I'm going to go down early in the morning, find a place that I can jump out there and make a few casts, you know, you know conditions are going to be good. Uh, anything else to be thinking about as, you know, as I'm down there, if somebody's down there in Hawaii and they're trying to find a fish any other tips you want to throw out there. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, your seasonal magazine covering fly tying, fly fishing destinations, uh, how-to, short stories, and more. Here are a few examples of what uh, what is getting me fired up from the uh, winter edition of the FTJ. Check out a story by Deck Hogan on big flies for the OP. Perfect timing for our upcoming trip uh, for the OP. Get the inside scoop from Dave McNeese uh, down in uh, Southern Oregon and his technique on dyeing fly tying materials. We also head over to uh, the North Umqua, then the Green River, and another story on the Green Butt Skunk from Gary Lewis, kind of a history piece there on the skunk. I had Gary on the podcast as well in a previous episode. Uh, Lots of additional content in every episode of the journal. Head over to ftjangler.com and subscribe so you don't miss any of the tips, tricks, and uh, stories in the next issue. That's ftjangler.com to get started today. And uh, tell them you heard uh, this ad on the podcast, and I'll find a way to make it up to you if you reach out to me at uh, Dave at wetflyswing.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. 
Yeah, absolutely. So footwear is pretty key here in Hawaii. Um, we've got everything from really tame weighting on pretty mild sandy flats to some really gnarly rocky stuff. Um, so you want to be thoughtful about about footwear. If you have a good pair of wading boots that you don't mind hauling all the way over here, if you're coming from the mainland, uh, bring those along. Um, you know, the manufacturers, whether it be, you know, Sims or Patagonia or, yeah. you know, whomever Orvis, uh, make really good flats boots now. Okay. And some of them are, are really reasonable in price. And, and you absolutely want to consider that particularly one with a little bit of ankle protection. Okay. And a lot of people will wear, um, like they do wet wading, uh, out West will wear some kind of a neoprene booty underneath. Yeah. yeah. Just so when you get rocks in there, you, you're not like trying to change your, you know, or get the rock out in four feet of water gotcha. you know, with your fly rod. So, so anyway, yeah, having good footwear is pretty key. And then of course the Polaroid glasses. And then one thing not to overlook is if you're coming from somewhere perhaps that, um, like Portland is not necessarily, um, balmy and sunny at this time of the year, cover up from the sun, man. We're huge fans of Patagonia stuff. We wear Patagonia hoodie, um, mm -hmm you know, uh, fishing shirts on a regular basis every day, you know, skin cancer is something that, you know, I've had to deal with growing up here in Hawaii and having fair skin. And, mm. um, it's something everyone should want to protect themselves from. So, you know, wear, wear lots of sunscreen, uh, on your legs. If you're going to wear shorts, otherwise wear long pants, wear, you know, a good hat and a buff, um, even gloves. If you know, you're fair skinned and cover up from that sun. Cause it'll toast you in a, in a couple of hours with no problem here in Hawaii. Yeah. That's a good tip. Okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, I wanted to jump in, you know, we've covered, I think a little bit of the, you know, the Maui stuff. I want to uh, jump over the, you know, I guess over to maybe the stuff you do on, on some of your guiding trips. I, before we get there, maybe you can just talk about, you mentioned this is, you know, off on a little bit of a tangent, but the, the skin cancer, was that something, I mean, obviously that's a real, real thing that that was something you actually had to deal with, uh, on a, like a yourself. Oh, it's on, it's ongoing. I've got this wonderful dermatologist I go to quarterly and, you know, you show up at her office, she's a very attractive gal and very intelligent. And she's got a, a scalpel in one hand, a little bottle of liquid nitrogen in the other. Really? You know? and they, yeah, man. It's just part of the, the deal growing up here in Hawaii. You know, no my kidding. family's been here in the islands since the late 1800s. And, um, you know, everybody is ingrained in all of these activities outdoors, whether it's canoe paddling or surfing or sailing or fishing or whatever it might be. And, you know, when we were kids, I mean, there wasn't a lot out there as far as good skincare products for the sun. It was pretty much zinc oxide on your lips and your nose when you went out surfing. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going for it. So, you know, uh, being a little older guy now, I'm kind of paying for it. So uh, please do encourage your kids uh, when they're getting in the game, you know, having good sunscreen is just as important as a good fly yeah, rod. That's right. Take so care of yourself. So you pretty much, I mean, you're over a lifetime of it. You're just going to see little, you know, a lot of them benign or whatever, but little potential things that are, that are start to just for yeah. being in the sun and you got to cut those things off. And yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so anyway, we've got a, a cool little business here in Hawaii. We've been, um, fishing and guiding for quite a few years. Um, uh, drive a Mavericks flat skiff and, uh, that allows us to fish out of the boat a little bit, uh, for anglers who are not quite so comfortable waiting. Um, also allows us to get some, some, some flats at, um, other anglers are not able to access by shore to give us a little bit more wiggle room and take advantage of the prevailing conditions. Um, and I spend, you know, uh, two, three days a week on the, on the water. We also do, uh, quite a bit of travel, um, particularly down to Kiribati, uh, in the central Pacific. We do Christmas Island and Fanning Island and Canton Island with groups, uh, host, uh, you know, six, seven weeks down there each year. And, um, then also we do a lot of steelhead fishing. We've been swinging flies for many, many years. And I guided steelhead fishing back in the eighties in Washington and Oregon. 
and really have a love for the Pacific Northwest. So we go up to um, the Skeena region of British Columbia. We've got a great lodging partner up there and have been doing that both in the fall and in the spring for a number of years now. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, the the fishery here in Hawaii is one that if people have not checked it out, whether it's DIY or a guided trip, um, you know, by all means, get in on it. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, our website is bonefishhawaii.com. Uh, and I'm Captain Rick Lee, and you can reach me at info at bonefishaway.com if you have questions or I can help you out in any way. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Did you um, did you want to dig a little bit into the Christmas Island and talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So if you are coming to Hawaii, it's always a great jumping off point to negotiate with your uh, with your spouse to spend a week in Christmas Island. There's a, a charter flight that travels from Honolulu to Christmas Island in Kiribati. Uh, every Tuesday and returns the following Tuesday. Um, it's about a three-hour jet ride, uh, very near the equator, and um, it's really a wonderful fishery. People tell me that it's like going back 100 years in time as far as the the village and the people that live there and, and the fishery in general. Um, for lack of a better description, the atoll is shaped like a tennis racket, and the interior of the tennis racket is about 145 square miles. So it makes it the largest atoll on the planet. And that interior lagoon is just covered with miles and miles and miles of white sand flats that are just teeming with bonefish, triggerfish, giant trevally. And then on the exterior of the atoll, there's also some hard flats with breaking waves just offshore and uh, really wonderful fishing for bonefish, uh, triggerfish, milkfish, etc. And then a pelagic fishery that's literally right outside of the breakers where you can catch big tuna, sailfish wahoo a whole variety of other pelagic species and they're just a short ride from the lodge so anyway it's uh really reasonably priced we put together both hosted and unhosted travel down there work with a bunch of the different lodges on the islands and have been going down since 1979 so we've got a very good understanding of the people and the place and the fishery and be happy to help out anyone who's headed that direction oh cool and what is it what's a typical uh bone or a christmas island trip cost to get to- uh, right now, we've got large lodging partners that start at twenty four hundred for the oh, week wow. inclusive. That is really wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So from a value proposition, it's it's a wonderful opportunity down there, and, and it lends itself not only to people who are on a first time saltwater trip, but also seasoned vets. I mean, you know, to go and fish for the triggers there. I have many clients who go uh, to the Seychelles every year, uh, some for three to four weeks each year. And they tell me the trigger fishing in Christmas Island is hands down better than they experience in the Seychelles. So um, it's a pretty neat fishery. The milkfish there um, are as good as anywhere. You can catch them on a, a floating uh, seaweed fly in a line that sometimes can be a mile long of 15 to 20 pound fish rising like brown trout in a river. I mean, it's it's epic. There's some really great fishing down there. Wow. Okay. And it's a similar deal. I mean, if you're going for, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of species you mentioned Um but if you're going for bonefish or whatever down there, it's a similar deal as if you were fishing around Hawaii. Uh, tons of bonefish. The flats are much easier to wade. The fish are in, in much shallower water. Mm. The wading's a lot easier. Yep. The fish um, are on occasion a bit smaller. Most of the fish uh, at Christmas Island would average two and a half pounds, maybe three pounds uh, on a good day. But the opportunity to catch 25 or 30 bonefish a day is certainly there every single day yeah. or out. So it can yeah. be super prolific. That's amazing. I think we're going to have to, yeah, I'll have to <laughs> touch base with you after this is. Yeah, let's so, get it together, Dave. Sounds like Love pretty cool. To have you down. Uh, so, so yeah, I just 
to touch on a couple things there. Um, back to the shoes again, boots. I mean, obviously I've got a pair of, you know, big boots that are kind of clunky. I'm trying to just go light, like a little backpack with myself. I mean, is there a, a, a pair of footwear you'd recommend that maybe is going to protect you, but isn't a huge pair of, uh, you know, Sims boots? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the ones that I wear quite a bit guiding now are, um, uh, Sims. I think they're, they're a Marl Walker or no, that's the Patagonia. Excuse me. It's yeah. a Sims booty. Um, yeah. It's, it's like a booty specifically the made soul. for the flats and yeah. those are excellent. Patagonia made uh, one for many years. I'm not sure if they're still available, but they're the same thing. They yeah. look like a dive booty. They've got totally. a zipper or they're neoprene. They've got a good solid good sole on them. Yeah. I yeah. Know what you're talking about. Yeah. typical. Okay. So those, those yeah. will be fine. Yeah. And those pack down with those, you wouldn't need your neoprene booties because they kind of already have nope. it in there. Right. Nope. Just a pair of socks okay. and off you go. Okay. We recommend those a lot for, you know, for any waiting destination. And they work fine, you know, 80% of the time here in Hawaii. So oh, this is cool. This would be funny, fun if I could put this together because I was kind of planning on head down and, and just kind of doing, uh, doing the family thing. But I think uh, if I can put some stuff together here, I can probably – uh, make it work. Um, and then also on the, uh, you mentioned the, the atoll. Can you just describe what, what that is exactly, what, what those are? Yeah. So we were talking earlier about the progression of islands in the Pacific, which start out with a volcano that bubbles up basically from the seafloor up to the surface. And then uh, over time, a uh, coral reef is built around that island. And that's what we have going on here uh, in the main Hawaiian islands. If you go up into the Papahanaumokuakea National Monument, which is north uh, of Hawaii, you'll find atolls and little islets where the actual lava portion of the island has been eroded over the years oh, by wow. wind, and rain, and waves, and it just leaves the ring of the coral reef that was originally there. And so hmm. that's where Christmas Island uh, and many of the atolls in Kiribati, um, that's the stage they're in now where it's just um, a fringing reef with an inner lagoon that's oh, got wow. passes out to the sea that'll Amazing. allow water to circulate and fish to come in and out and that sort of thing. Yeah. But on a large scale, I mean, literally uh, on most days, you cannot see the far side of the lagoon at Christmas Island uh, from the lodge looking one way across to the other because, you know, the curve of the earth precludes oh, wow. you seeing tops of the trees. Yeah. yeah. It's Damn. pretty amazing. That is amazing. Okay. So, and. So that's the, and then, and then on Hawaii, well, I guess let, let's keep, let's keep on that one. I had a couple of questions just about Hawaii general, but did you want to touch base? You know, we talked about Maui, but if we're talking about Oahu or, you know, are there any other spots in Hawaii, any of the islands where it would be worth if, you know, somebody was going out there? It seems like, I mean, I've been to Kauai, uh, or how do you pronounce it again? Uh, Kauai. Yeah. Kauai. 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 Yeah. So, you know, um, why don't I go from one end of the island yeah. to the other? So yeah. starting with Kauai, of course, um, there's there's some great uh, freshwater and saltwater fisheries there. Kauai has the largest um, uh, lake of any of the islands, Waiata Reservoir, which is historically for sugarcane uh, production. And Waiata's got peacock bass, largemouth bass, a bunch of, hmm. uh, of other freshwater species that have been turned loose there. Uh, it's also got the trout fishing up at Kokea, which is nothing to really write home about as far as trout fishing goes, but it is pretty unique and unusual. And it's in a beautiful place with arguably some of the highest densities of endemic Hawaiian birds anywhere in the islands. Um, additionally, there's a couple of flats that are over on the uh, east, northeast side of the island. Uh, the one that people want to really take a look at is Anini Beach, and that's A-N-I-N-I, -I, Anini. 
um, which is on the way f- uh, over towards Princeville. And um, there's lots of other flats over there that are a little bit smaller that if you find them on the right tide, you can find bonefish. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of opportunities there. Uh, then uh, moving west, um, Oahu has the lion's share of flats. The, the areas that I really recommend people check out are the flats between Diamond Head and Cocoa Head. And that's on the south shore of Oahu. And there's pretty much a, about a six-mile-long flat there that's um, mostly residential along the shore, but there are a number of beach parks where you can pull in. And, you know, there's uh, showers and parking and restrooms and what have you, and it's pretty self-explanatory mm-hmm. when you get out there. Yep. Um, then uh, there's a triad of islands uh, moving west from Oahu, Molokai, Lanai, and Maui. Of course, we've been talking about Maui. Yep. Molokai has also got some pretty good flats along the south shore, Um it's a much less populous island. There's only about 8,000 people that live there, which is unusual considering the rest of the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, no stoplights. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool place, and there's <laughs> some really big fish there. It's beginning to get a little bit more notoriety. It is a fickle fishery in that the flats of Molokai are a little bit deeper, and there's been a lot of runoff over the last 100 years with uh, Axis deer and goats and what have you. Um, uh, knocking down the uh, the ground cover. And so a lot of times when the wind will blow in the afternoon on Molokai, the flats will dirty up. So you need to be kind of particular on the day you go and, and on the wind and, and the flat that you're fishing on that particular day. Lanai is kind of limited as far as flats go uh, in that the south shore um, of Lanai is pretty much sea cliffs. Um, but Maui's got some flats, as I mentioned, both on the windward and leeward coasts. And you can feel free to Google Earth, uh, look over by Kihei or in between, uh, you know, Lahaina and Kaanapali area. Uh, also, feel free to drop us a, an email at info at bonefishhawaii.com. We're always happy to help. And then moving on to the big island, because it's the youngest island and it's got three big distinct volcanoes, uh, Mauna Kea, Mauna Loa, and Hualalai. Um, and you may have been reading, you know, last year there was a ton of activity over in the Puna area where lava flows went all the way to the ocean. Um, it's mostly, um, you know, lava rock and sea cliffs. And so the Big Island does have bonefish, and I have friends that live over there that do catch them occasionally, but it's much better suited for fishing for some of the other species we mentioned, you know, the goat fishes, uh, the Moana, the Kumu, uh, you know, that sort of thing, the the bluefin trevally, mm-hmm. uh, papio, as we commonly call them here in Hawaii, and then a whole variety of other reef fish. And, you know, if you're at a hotel on the Kona side of the island, you know, just go ahead and uh, and Google map you know, some of the surrounding areas or just go out in front and have a few casts with a little deceiver or some kind of another, you know, little weighted fly with a floating line and, and a long leader and, and see what happens. So yep. lots of fly, fly fishing opportunities on all the islands, just some a little more suited uh, gotcha. to the bone fishing, you know, uh, like here on Oahu. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a, thanks for the breakdown there. So again, I'm taking it back to, you know, I'm walking out onto, you know, early morning out on the water got everything set up and I'm making that first cast. Any, uh, you know, I mean, I just start casting it, but do you have any tips on presentation or stripping or, you know, how long to let it sit in the water? Any of that sort of details? Any of those details? Yeah. So of course you're going to be somewhat, uh, you know, dependent upon the depth of the water and the length of your cast. But for the most part, you want to try and get your fly near the bottom, but not stuck on the bottom. And so that's, you know, always tough. Um, if you are blind casting, uh, so just work with different retrieve patterns. Uh, usually little retrieves or slower retrieves have a tendency to stay near the bottom than real fast retrieves. Mm-hmm. Although you will catch those trevally with a quicker retrieve when you're sight casting. Um, it's also going to be kind of, it depends. Yeah. You want to get the fly out ahead of the fish. 
Um, we generally don't like to hit the fish right on the head because no. they'll spook 90% of the time. And you want to put it somewhere eight to 10 feet out ahead of them, oh, let wow. them fly yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. And then by the time it gets to the bottom, you can start, you know, with a little retrieve and gauge the, the fish's reaction to your fly, um, for what to do next. Gotcha. And that's like you said, with a dry line. So you're just counting on the weight of your fly to, to get in if it's a, I mean, what would be an average depth of water say for, um, you know, over in Maui or. Or, you know, if you're fishing, what you're typically, I mean, a few feet. Uh, most of the flats on Maui are going to be knee to thigh deep if you get them on a good tide. Yeah. So you can see fish in there, but for the most part, um, you know, they lend themselves really to blind casting. Although, you know, it's, a lot of times it's not uncommon at all to find fish right along the shore. And, you know, uh, there's a variety of places that I walk on a regular basis where I see, you know, two, three, four bonefish feeding together, um, looking for stuff right in the surf line. So okay. it just depends on where you are. Gotcha. And on those flies, are you tying your flies, buying your flies from somewhere? Or what are you? No, we, we tie all of our own stuff. Some of the, some of the, uh, fly companies that I might recommend, um, you know, there's a, a great, uh, fly tying company, uh, out in Maine, um, called SS flies, call Pete up at SS flies okay. and we'll hook you up. I mean, they're right on top of it. They work a lot with the, you know, more progressive guides in the Florida Keys on custom patterns. We work with them on Christmas Island stuff. They've got some great Hawaii stuff. Um, and I wouldn't hesitate at all to fish any of their stuff. Um, Enrico Puglisi also, they've mm -hmm. got some really, really neat flies using those brushes, particularly the mantis patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those are all good. Just make sure that you get the ones with the heavier eyes, um, so yeah. that they get down a little bit quicker. Gotcha. Okay. And, and as far as fly tying, we're kind of in a, a fly tying season technically, although I like to mix it up a little bit, but you know, when you're tying some of these flies, do you have any tips for tying, you know, say if it was, I don't know if the deceiver is the good one to talk about and, but you know, just generally, is it good to mix up weights, have a, a good selection in your fly box? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yes to all of the above. Um, some of the things that, that I would say would be key with, with bonefish flies are pick really good hooks because you're not going to tie a ton of flies um, and you're not going to lose a ton of flies. What so, are good hooks? Know, we, we've been be using – yeah, we've been using um, – uh, uh, a couple of different ones. We've been using uh, Tiemco and Gamakatsu over the years mm -hmm. and had super, super good success with them. But now there's a couple of new entrants into the market, uh, Arex yep. and Kona. And yep. they're both making some sticky, sharp, really nice looking hooks. And I've been tying a lot on both of them. Mm -hmm. um, for our Hawaiian bonefish, we also like to go with the 2X strong hooks in a general sense. Um, mm -hmm. Because bonefish will bend out a smaller hook easily on 15-pound tippet Jeez. on a big run. Um, so go with the heavier hooks. The Japan black hooks also in Hawaii have a tendency to be a little more productive, and that's all that, that I'll tie on. Um, and then I'm a big fan of impressionism, and so I'll use a lot of Arctic fox, fin raccoon, um, coyote, some of, hmm. some of the other more breathable um, materials that are out there for wings. Um, I'll also use a lot of brushes, whether it's for crab patterns or for mantis shrimp bodies. Um, rubber legs are key in, in Hawaii, and we love all the, you know, the rubber legs that are out there. Um, a good resource um, that you can find pretty much anything um, that you're going to need for Hawaiian bonefish flies is Hairline. Yep. Uh, they're a manufacturer and distributor of, of pretty much the best stuff out there. So check it out, okay. uh, hairline.com, um, and they'll get you hooked up if you've got any questions. Again, info yeah. at bonefishhawaii.com. Cool.
Cool. Um, I had a few more, uh, just kind of some tips and tricks and uh, things I want to dig in before we get out of here. But I did have one kind of a note on the Hawaiian, you know, there's this little thing, and maybe you can explain since you grew up out there and you're, it's amazing. Your family's been there since the 1800s. That's, that's really cool. So, I mean, have you ever traveled uh, or lived outside of Hawaii or have you just been there the whole time? No, I've been really fortunate to have been all over the world. I, oh, cool. I started out with a summer job guiding up on the Green River in Utah back in the mid-80s and um, was very fortunate through um, clients and connections there to have the opportunity uh, to open a number of lodges in Colorado and, and Utah and then also to travel to Argentina. I spent seven winters guiding in Argentina uh, and Chile uh, hmm. back in the late 80s and early 90s, and then also uh, was able to uh, spend a bunch of time up in Russia through the steelhead guiding I had mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh, on the Kola Peninsula, which is up oh, in yeah. northwest Russia, uh, fly fishing for Atlantic salmon. Okay. And so I was on the Panoy River in Russia uh, f- throughout the early 90s and helped to get that camp up and running. And uh, for those of you that are you know big Atlantic salmon fishermen, you may know that Panoy has pretty much now been recognized as the most prolific Atlantic salmon fishery in the world. And, um, you know, back in the day, it was pretty amazing. I, I don't know whether uh, I still have it, but for a while there, I had the camp record of 53 Atlantic salmon caught and released by two anglers in one day, uh, all on flies. Yeah. Holy so crap. it was a really amazing place. And um, then also have traveled extensively throughout the Pacific Northwest with steelhead fishing, uh, throughout the Pacific with saltwater fishing, and across the American West uh, with lodge development and guiding and uh, what have you. So yeah, I've been wow. lived a blessed life and met some amazing people along the way. That's cool. So cool. Wow. So you basically, I mean, you've covered it all. And so, but you've Hawaii's been your home base. Has that kind of been the place you always have been going back to? Yes, absolutely. My family's here. Uh, my wife comes from uh, a similar upbringing, uh, being from Hawaii, and we've got young Keiki, a couple of kids that uh, now are getting into uh, bone fishing themselves. Oh, the wow. only thing that I still need to do is teach them both how to push the boat so I can fish a little more. Wow. And how old are the kids? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a fifth grader and a sixth grader. Oh, nice. That's, that's yeah, really a good cool. time. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So now, and that's why I want to dig into just a little bit on the, on the culture. You know, Hawaii you know, since you're there, you maybe you can shed some light on this just for people that are going over there, because I think people don't, you know, there's a little bit of this, right? There's like, you got the local native Hawaiians, and then you've got the the white people, basically. Is there, is that something to, um, you know, what should people know about that? And how, how do they make sure to, to do things respectfully? And is that an issue at all? Is that, it seems like that's always something you're thinking about. Well, I think anywhere you go, it, it, behooves travelers to take a minute to see what's going on in the the local scene. And there are some really wonderful things about Hawaii um, based on the native Hawaiian culture and and really a myriad now of neat things to do while you're here that are tied into native culture. Um, I think it's important to keep in mind that the fishery here in Hawaii has been uh, affected significantly by the native culture in that uh, local Hawaiians um, pretty much historically and even, you know, through today view the ocean as the icebox. And so conservation is not um, what people might expect in other places. There are very few prohibitions with regard to saltwater fishing in Hawaii. Of course, you don't need a license. Uh, you know, there's still monofilament gill nets, uh, on a lot of our bonefish flats. And that's something that we're, you know, constantly working against. And I've got a good friend, uh, who's uh, an ichthyologist up at the university of Hawaii, who's kind of regarded as the, the bonefish guru in the Pacific, Alan Friedlander. And he's pretty firm in his convictions that there's only about 10% of the historic number of fish 
bonefish that is uh, on our flats here in Hawaii that there once were. So, you know, we're, we're working on educating and we spend a lot of time with kids groups trying to turn them on to the right thing to do and the good decisions to make because, uh, you know, with a million uh, and a half people living on a small island, many whom uh, enjoy fishing, it's it's difficult to to manage fisheries. Um, and I think Hawaii is is improving, but could do a lot better job of that uh, mm-hmm. down the road. Okay. And are there any any local groups or anything that's uh, anybody out there that are you know monitoring that or trying to uh, protect things? You know, it's really limited in that um, saltwater fly fishing. Uh, was very new to Hawaii up until, as I mentioned, eight or 10 years ago. And so there are a lot more people getting into it now and realizing that bonefish is is not just what's for dinner, but it's also an amazing sport fish and a great resource for people to enjoy and, and, you know, uh, bring their families out to, to check out. So, um, not many organized groups. There are some trout unlimited, um, groups here in Hawaii that could turn you on to that fishing over on Kauai, yeah. particularly up at Koke. Yeah. Um, you know, we've participated in a lot of environmental and conservation efforts, uh, with regard to tagging studies and, uh, you know, help the department of land and natural resources, uh, to try and improve their monitoring uh, with regard to enforcement and that sort of thing. But it's a slow process and uh, you know, it's difficult to change people's minds uh, over just a few short years. It's something that's going to have to come from the kids who are, you know, moving up. Yeah. Okay. So they're just like, like anywhere there's going to be some issues that are going to continue. Well, okay. That, that uh, I mean, that definitely there's obviously some work to be done. Um, before, so I had a few little rapid fire around here. If you got a little more time to wrap this thing up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, one of the things I was going to check just on resources, obviously, you mentioned, you know, your website sounds like a good resource. Are there any other resources, either books, magazines, videos, anything, you know, that is that could have some information on fishing Hawaii or Christmas Island that you'd recommend? Uh, you know, currently, there's not really too much. Um, the one thing I would suggest is there are some online resources with regard to guides and guide services, if you're interested in that. But ask the right questions and be careful and conscientious when they're doing that. There's quite a few people out there that are not captains, that don't have insurance, that don't have what you would expect when you show up in the morning for a flats trip as far as equipment goes, that sort of thing. So so be careful when you're asking around and, and make sure that there's a good fit because, you know, it's an expensive day on the water and, and nobody wants to be disappointed as far as that goes. There is one fly shop in town called Nervous Waters and oh, yeah. it's a smaller shop and the guys are real committed and dedicated to the fishing here in Hawaii. And if you are on Oahu, they're up in the Kaimaki area, you might drop in and say, hey, and they've mm-hmm. got some fly tying stuff and a few flies and uh, rods and reels and stuff. And, uh, you know, that might be a a good resources as well. But, um, you know, for the, for the most part, it's going to be just reaching out to some of the guides that are here or going on some of perhaps the blogs that are out there. I, I see a lot of people now posting on Facebook and on Instagram and some of the other social media with, you know, pictures of them holding fish. So I'm sure some of those guys have some insights and information that might be able to help a DIY angler. Gotcha. Okay. So there's not necessarily like a uh, ultimate guide to Hawaii fishing on a, you know, sort of <laughs> your PDF no, download or something like that. Dave, you ought to come out here and fish with us for a while and, and write one. Yeah, I might have to do that. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, so cool. Um, and is there anything else? I mean, we're going to jump in. The, the, the 222 is kind of how I usually start this off, kind of the rapid fire with the top two uh, flies, top two tips and top two resources for, you know, we're talking about bonefish in Hawaii. We talked a little bit on Christmas Island. We, we, I guess we'll have to leave that for, you know, next time to dig in. But do you want to start there and just talk? You've mentioned the deceiver. Are there two flies that you'd recommend if people, you know, wanted to grab two for bones out there? 
Uh, absolutely. So I think if, if someone was going to tie two flies, I would stick with the historic crazy Charlie and upsize it for Hawaii, uh, in a couple of different colors. As I mentioned earlier, you want to go with, uh, maybe a dark Brown or an olive. Also an orange would not be a bad bet. And you want to stick with lead eyes. I like dark eyes personally. Uh, so whether it's plain lead or it's, you know, some of the coated lead eyes or, or a eyeball type of an eye, that's a, a good bet. Also some kind of a mantis pattern, um, there's a whole variety of, of good ones out there. You know, a, a good friend of ours, Terry Duffield, who got it here for many years, came up with one called Spam and Eggs. And that Spam and Eggs fly is a great mantis Im- imitation for Hawaii, and that's a hard one to overlook. Uh, additionally, the uh, Enrico Puglisi mantis patterns are pretty good as well, and you can find those in the right colors with bigger eyes, and, and those will work here. Okay. All right, perfect. And and then what about, you've mentioned a bunch of good tips here. Anything else you want to throw out there for a couple of tips if somebody's going for bonefish out there in, in Hawaii and maybe their first time out there to, to help them find some, some fish? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing with bonefish in Hawaii is don't get too hung up on expecting to catch a whole bunch. You may step out onto a flat your first cast and hang a, a double digit bonefish. But the reality of the situation is most days it's windy and it can yeah. be cloudy occasionally. Just go out and have a great time and take it all in and enjoy it. Um, Cause I guarantee you whether you catch fish or not, it's going to be a great experience. Okay. And do you have a tip for casting? It sounds like the wind, obviously, if you can get it at your back, that's fine. But if you're casting into the wind and any tips for somebody? it's my that's my daily to-do list with guests on the flat exactly that's the first thing you know a couple of things that i recommend for people first and foremost is you want to rush it because the wind's blowing in your face yeah take your time on your stroke slow your tempo down and be deliberate and powerful and then secondly i always suggest that if guests are struggling with the wind to count their rod uh down closer to the water Mm -hmm. and kind of sidearm it because the the breeze is significantly uh less as you get closer to the water. And that quite often will help people to really kind of slow their stroke down as well as mm-hmm. get that fly in a place that's going to turn over and, and make it stay there. Gotcha. And then once you get out there, like you said, the strips are kind of a more of a, maybe a little kind of a, a quick inch sort of strip, inch, inch, that's, inch versus a big long that's pull. one, but a long pull is also going to be super successful here in Hawaii for the fact that that's the way a mantis shrimp would. All right. Would feed or, or would swim. And then the bonefish accordingly will feed on that mantis shrimp, not necessarily on the strip, but on the fall. In fact, most of our patterns will be taken as they fall oh, versus wow. stripping them. So you'll strip once, you'll have slack as you reach for your line. When you strip that next time, you'll be tight. Oh, gotcha. So, so try a, like a long strip and then stop, let it drop. And then maybe Absolutely. like a, a two yep. second count and then strip again, let it drop and then strip. And all right. I mean, how much are you mixing up your, your strips and, and how much are you mixing up your flies? I mean, are you changing flies every, you know, if you're not getting anything and switching it up or are you sticking with one? You know, um, after spending as much time as I have out here, I have particular flies that I fish a particular way on particular flats. So I know right away after one or two fish, whether it's going to work on that day or not uh, to change. But for the general, you know, person who's just out kind of winging it, I would just experiment around and uh, getting back to, uh, you know, what I'd mentioned at the beginning, fish a dark fly over dark bottom, fish a light fly or bright fly over bright bottom. That's going to be your best bet. And then, you know, the biggest thing is just going to be whether the eyes are are heavy enough or too heavy Mm -hmm. um, because you want to be in that zone, but not be hanging up too terribly much. And, you know, quite often going with those long strips over those shorter strips will have a tendency to keep the fly perhaps up a little bit more. Um, but you know, it just depends on, on the speed of your retrieve and and the depth of the water. Okay. And are you throwing any, a little bit of flash or anything into your flies? 
As a general rule, I go pretty light on the flash here in Hawaii. The fish don't respond to it quite as well as they might in other places. And I don't know if that's just because they've been there and done that or if just the natural prey items that they're encountering are are more dull in nature. Um, I might put a little bit in, but not very much in, in a general sense. Okay. All right, cool. And, uh, and so, yeah, you mentioned, it sounds like you're, you've got uh, sage and as far as rods, um, it looks like I was looking at your website, you've got some of the big, you know, the good big companies out there. Um, any other, you know, I guess if you look at a non fly fishing piece of gear, anything that's kind of a go-to gear that when you're out there traveling, you don't leave home without, um, as far as spin fishing goes or, uh, no, this would be just any type of gear. If you're, I mean, I always think of traveling, like if, uh, you know, you're traveling, but is there any, just, I could be just generally any gear that, you know, is a, is a go-to piece you got to have. I, I think of some, um, of, some of the random stuff. I, I just listened to an old episode of Landon Mayer and he, he mentioned that he loves taking the noodle, you know, those noodle things for kids to float on. He cuts those up and that's how he wraps his rigs for, you know, like trout fishing and, you know, so stuff like that, you know, this random stuff you'd ever think about. Do you have any dude, of that? That's a great idea. I know. Um, no, you know, the nice thing about it is most four piece rods you can carry on with no problem and there's no, no issues with regard to, uh, to travel right. with those. Yeah, just carry them on, um, right. you know, I, I'd say travel light more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, when I go fishing, dude, it's a what do you pair take? of nippers, a, a, a spool, a thing of tippet. 15 pound. And, and a couple of flies. Yeah. Just take a thing of 15 pound or 20 if you want to, if you want to make sure and land most of the fish you, you hook. So that's all you got. So you don't go out there with any sort of a vestroy or you just, I mean, I mean, yeah, you don't, you got your shirt. You can put everything in your, your pockets of your sleeve, your shirt, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it gets when you've done something for a while? You just try and simplify, you know? Yeah. So when I'm guiding, I have a big full bag with, you know, everything that anyone might possibly need. But when I'm fishing myself, man, go light. That's one of the beauties of bone fishing. All you need is a pair of boots a good rod and reel <laughs> that's right well what's what's in that bag that you haven't used in uh, lately like something that you know that old rule like if you haven't used it in a year you should get rid of it do you have anything in that bag like that you know i mean i carry stuff like a spare pair of glasses in case yeah. people have a up i mean i've got out on the flats literally with clients before and they just can't see fish and can't see fish and i said man let me check out those glasses yep. and they were some fashion eyewear well you know the old trick when you put one polarized pair against the other yep. and turn them at a 45, they change color. Well, no polarization on this guest glasses. I said, dude, let's try this and, you know, turn the day around. So those, those ride in my bag pretty much all the time, but I don't use them too much. Um, you know, I don't know, cigar nipper and lighter occasionally for that, uh, celebration stove that doesn't get used too much. That's but right. It's key to have it. In there, so that's right. What's your go-to, uh, drink when you get off the water? <laughs> that's, you know, uh, I would have to say I'm a bourbon fan, uh-huh. you know, I like an, I like a nice aged bourbon. Yeah. Uh, bourbon. I don't have a drink very often, but when I do, I, I think that's what I would indulge in. Yeah, cool. Cool. And what about, um, you know, as far as music, you know, we're doing a podcast here, but you know, if you had to, are you more of a music person or a podcast person when you think of audio listening to stuff? Oh, you know, I don't listen to podcasts too much, obviously with my replies, I've been a little slow on the uptake and with getting all the gear setting up. Um, but I do love tunes, you know, and Uh and I think when I'm out on the flats fishing, I was out a couple of days ago, I'm kind of an old schooler, you know, so I had a little bit of, um, uh, G love and special sauce, oh, yeah. uh, mixed in with a little grateful dead, Perfect. um, you know, Jack, Jack, uh, Jack Johnson is out there, right? Love Jack, you know, being from Hawaii, you got to love Jack Johnson. Yeah, he's, so. he's good. And that goes with the flow with bone fishing. So that that's does, that's right. Yeah. He's, he's the type of guy I would expect to be a fly fisherman. Just he seems like, I guess he's a surfer. So that's similar. 
Yeah, yeah. Deal. No, fly fishing fits right in. And, and you know, it's interesting you should say that because a lot of the people that have been um, really getting interested in fly fishing and traveling to Christmas Island with us lately are folks that live on the North Shore. Um, where during the winter, of course, they've got big surf and it's mm. a real vibrant scene with people from all over the world. But come summer, man, it's kind of quiet, not yeah. much going on. So, you know, weaving in a little bit of bone fishing uh, to that program has, has been key for a lot of our folks lately. That's cool. And you made, I mean, obviously you've got a huge, a lot of stuff going on in the fly fishing space. I mean, if, it, if you weren't doing this fly fishing thing for your life, what, what do you think you'd be doing? You know, we're also uh, real avid uh, dog trainers and wing shooters. And oh, cool. so we have Brittany Spaniels here in Hawaii that we love to run for some of the upland uh, birds that we have here in Hawaii. And um, we also work with uh, occasionally with some bow hunting here in Hawaii for axis deer, mouflon sheep, uh, goats, that sort of thing. Yep. So uh, we, we love, you know, sneaking and peeking and, and spotting and stalking. That's it. God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So there's actually, yeah, there's birds out there. You can do some bird hunting. Yeah. I was just out yesterday with uh, a couple of the dogs and had a nice pheasant blow up right in front of us. So it's fun. We've got pheasant and Franklin, three varieties of Franklin and Chucker. And um, there's not as much uh, area on Oahu to hunt as there is uh, perhaps on Maui or the Big Island or Lanai or Molokai, but you know, got to, got to get out when you can. Cool. Cool. All right, Rick. Well, I think that's about all I have for you. I, um, you know, I guess in, in the next six, 12 months, anything you want to let us know you got new coming out for, you know, uh, from you or the business personally or the, anything new? Just, just keeping at it, you know, um, thanks Dave for taking the time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and, uh, please do take me up on, uh, either coming over here to Wahoo to chasing a couple, if you, you know, get the hall pass yep. or if you feel like doing Christmas Island, we'd love to have you down on one of our trips, oh. um, coming up in 2020s. Oh. Okay, cool. And if people, yeah, if the people out there want to connect with you, it's just bonefishhawaii.com. Absolutely. Our Hawaii bone fishing is bonefishhawaii.com. We also work very closely, uh, with fish Christmas Island, Oh, okay. uh, you can check out either of those sites and um, both of them kind of point back to each other. So right. uh, they, they can help you out. Perfect. All right. Well, I'll leave links to everything we talked about in the show. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be some people <laughs> I talked to, you know, I sent a thing out to on Facebook. It was kind of like, you know, any questions about Christmas Island or Hawaii? And, you know, some people were like, definitely go more into on Christmas Island. So I think there's going to be some people that might, you know, not be fired up. But I think this is great. We, we dug into Hawaii and you know, it gives gives me and hopefully some people out there a better perspective and tips. So appreciate you sharing your knowledge and I'll definitely keep in touch with you. Okay, Dave. Mahalo. It's been great being with you. All right. You. Thanks, Rick. See ya. Okay, man. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Rick. And if you want to find out more info on upcoming uh, Christmas Island trip, you can uh, get more info at uh, wetflyswing.com slash salt. And we'll be doing a giveaway here soon, so I'll, I can send you some information coming up on that. Uh, thank you again for your support. I'm uh, looking forward to hopefully catching up this soon and maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.